Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more. EAA, 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. As you know, we are gearing up for the Annapolis Summit this January the 11th, the opening day of the session. And as part of that gearing up for the Annapolis Summit, where we interview the governor, the speaker of the House, and the president of the Senate live on opening day, we do a series of conversations and articles with our print partner, The Daily Record. The Daily Record prints the stories, we do the conversations on air, and share them together on each other's websites and, and uh, as well. <clears throat> so they produced an article this week on the coming bail reform debate that will be taking place in the General Assembly. Uh, there will be legislation coming up this session that will require judges to assess bail on defendants only as a last resort to ensure their appearance at trial and only in an amount they can afford. They have to take into account, if it passes, they would have to take into account the income of the defendant uh, and their ability to get back to court. Uh, so we're going to wrestle with that this hour with men, two men who are on opposite sides of this coin to go through the issues. They've both been on the show before. Doug Colbert is professor of law at the University of Maryland Carey School of Law and has been in this effort. <clears throat> pardon me, let's cut that for a second. Edit. <clears throat> and has uh, been at the forefront of the movement to end bail uh, since we first met in the early 90s. Mark Adams, who I've also known for a long time, is a bail bondsman. <coughs> What's wrong with me? Good <clears throat> mm, thing we're not live. <clears throat> Maybe I'm allergic to this issue. I'm the one who's supposed to be doing that, not you. <clears throat> and Mark Adams, is a, also I've known for a long time, is a bail bondsman and head <clears throat> and head of the Maryland Bail Agents Association, uh, who did his own study on failure to appear rates, which he'll be talking about, of course, during the course of this conversation. Gentlemen, welcome. Good to have you with us. Nice to be here, uh, Mark. Thanks for having us, Mark. Well, let's just start from the broadest question here. Um, you know, we know that there are four states at this moment that do not require bail, <clears throat> as well as the District of Columbia. Um, and I've been looking at the results of those. We can talk about that in a little bit. So why do we need bail? Let's start there. Or why don't we need bail? Why do we need bail, Mark Adams? We need bail to get people to show up for court and uh, to prevent failure to appear warrants which are a problem. I don't think we need money bail, Mark, to ensure that people appear in court. People come to court in our city. They come to court 93 to 94% of the time. We have one of the highest appearance rates in, in the country. And it, we know that when people are supervised, say by a pretrial agency, that their rates are closer to 95% of the people who show up. The reason we have a money bail system is because it's profiting those who are in the business of bail bondsmen and insurance companies because they collect a 10% non-refundable fee. And as the Able Foundation told us back in 2002, they're collecting between $100 million and $150 million. That was back then. So it's a very lucrative business, and it's one that the bondsmen have enormous power uh, in Annapolis to protect that business. And I'll just add one other piece to this, which is 
that the Maryland Court of Appeals Rules Committee met about three weeks ago, and the Rules Committee is made up of legislators and judges and lawyers, and they set the procedures in place for how the system is supposed to work. And in a what I would characterize as a real surprise and upset, uh, the Rules Committee made some substantial changes that were proposed by Attorney General Brian Frosch. And the point of the whole thing was to really even the playing field for for low-income working people, for poor people, for people who can't pay the bondsman's fee or otherwise don't have any other financial resources. They stay in jail for at least 30 days on the most minor of charges. So what Attorney General Frosch was trying to say is to the judi- to the judges and commissioners of our city is – You can put people in jail if they're a threat to the community. You can put people in jail and deny bail entirely if you think they're a flight risk. But if you're going to set a money bail, which, by the way, is the the harshest uh, condition that you can set for people who don't have money, and the law says that the judges have to set the least onerous condition. So when you're setting money bail for poor and low-income working people, chances are very good they're either going to stay in jail or they're going to pay the bail bondsman 10% fee for money that should be going to rent. So you've said a lot there. So Mark, well, what's for, your for starters, the 10% fee is what we bill. <clears throat> what we collect is a different story. How much do you collect? On average, 4%. Well, how much does that total a year? I'm not sure the whole statistics okay. of the industry, but it's a continuing struggle to get paid. And there's a situation that's, uh, I guess the case is about 15 years old, where the Court of Appeals said that we can charge installments and take installment payment plans. And it's it's a kind of a, a running joke that they pretend they're going to pay us and we pretend that we're going to collect it all. But the reality is somewhere in between. But, Mark, you know, like I know, that it's a very lucrative business. I mean, there is so much money that's collected from people who both work hard for that money and other people who stretch themselves because no one wants to stay in jail before trial when they're presumed innocent and when the law says they're entitled to release either on recognizance or on the least onerous condition, which certainly you have to start with non-financial when you're talking about people who don't have very much uh, money to begin with. But, but the reality is, with our customers, they tend not to be what I would call criminals as much as they're people who don't show up and don't do what they need to do. And the failure-to-appear rates for people who do not have bails are Higher, and in many cases, they're alarmingly high. In Baltimore City, when people are supervised by a pretrial agency, which, by the way, helps people uh, deal with unemployment, helps people uh, with treatment programs, uh, tries to do the right thing for people while they're waiting for a trial. And these are all people who have not been convicted of a crime. But when pretrial supervisors in our city, it's a 93 to 95% rate of people returning to court. Nationally, Mark, we're only in the high 70% or touching around 80%. So pretrial in our city and throughout the state, those counties that have pretrial, they do extremely well in getting people back to court. It's just that this is a profit-making business, and it's one that has a great deal of support politically. 
I mean, what the 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 the, the question of the amount of money the balance sheet makes. I mean, I've seen anywhere between one hundred fifty and two hundred and seven million dollars a year statewide. A hundred to one hundred and fifty million. Yeah, I've seen to two hundred. Oh, okay. But some in Sorry. some studies, but that, but the but also the Baltimore City is the only place in Maryland that doesn't control um, its jail <clears throat> and doesn't control its pretrial. It's controlled all by the state. So, so what, let, let's say, for argument's sake, that that they we, that they, we, they ruled in favor of your side, Doug, of the side that says we should do away with bail. What would that mean? What would that do? What would that do to the reality of our criminal justice system, and and how would that transform or change things in a positive or perhaps, from your perspective, Mark Adams, a negative side? Well, well you're going to get more of what we saw on Pulaski Highway last week, mean? when a man uh, a man who was released on recognizance. Uh, Failed to appear for pretrial, uh, stabbed a man multiple times, a homeless man, with a cane. Tried to fight him off with a cane and killed him. This person probably should have been locked up because he didn't appear for anything he was supposed to appear for. And he'd been terrorizing a neighborhood very close to mine. What was he charged with? Charged with uh, threatening a woman with a knife at a bus stop. That's what he was out on right. he, on his own recog right. for doing. Okay, and, and Just want to get clear. When, when you get the multiple defendants, pretrial doesn't supervise them. I mean, I don't, I don't know what your perception of pretrial is, but it doesn't get the job done. Well, in my view, and, you know, Bob Weissenkoff uh, has been running the pretrial okay. here in the city, and uh, I work very closely with many of his agents, and they're, they're really quite good. I, this is work that's coming out of our law clinic at Maryland Law School, so our students represent people, and when they're supervised by the people at pretrial, pretrial is extremely helpful and does a very good job. But I, I think the question here, Mark, when you ask what would happen without money bail is two things. First of all, communities would be much safer. You see, because if you're if you just finished an assault, let's say it's domestic violence and you're a rich guy and you just uh, a seriously assaulted, uh, let's say it's your girlfriend, okay? So the bail's $100,000. Well, you'll come up and pay the bondsman ten grand. That's not a big thing for people who have money. But then you're at an extreme risk to the woman that you've just beaten. And there's no excuse for why money should decide freedom. On the other hand of the coin, there are people in jail, as we represent, who are there because they can't afford $100 or they can't afford 500 or 1000 And when you're in jail, you lose jobs. You're away from family. I mean, how, how does family deal with, a, with an adult, with a mom or a dad who's in jail because they don't have $500 to regain their liberty? It's irrational. And it's also discriminating in a very big way against people who don't have. And in the law, we call that a denial of equal protection. We call that a denial of due process. And that's what Brian Frosch, our attorney general, was saying to the Rules Committee. Like, judges at least must take note, as the law requires, what are your financial resources, sir? How much do you earn a week? And then if you took one week's salary, let's say your take home is two fifty and you set a bail at twenty five hundred bond. Well, one week's salary is gonna make a real big impression on somebody. But what you're suggesting is there should be no bail. I'm saying in the first instance there are and and Mark, when you mentioned four states, 
It is a growing number now. We're up to about 11 states and many more cities that are using risk assessment. And what risk assessment does objectively you look at certain factors to see whether somebody is uh, a potential risk to somebody else's safety. You look to see whether they're going to return to court. Right now, our judges, even our best judicial officers, are still making a subjective estimate. And where risk assessment's been used, you combine it with supervision and remand for those who are dangerous. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation about bail in Maryland. Stay with us. Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner, right here on your source for Cool Jazz and More, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. We continue our conversation about the bail bonds industry and whether or not we need one in the state of Maryland. As we march our way to the Annapolis Summit, this is the second in our series of conversations that we partner with The Daily Record, bringing to you the issues we'll be wrestling with in the Maryland General Assembly. Today, we're talking with Doug Colbert, professor of law at the University of Maryland Carey School of Law, and Mark Adams, who's a bail bondsman and head of the Maryland Bail Agents Association. But, so, but, but for, respond to what Doug was saying. I mean, what, what's the other side to that? Well, if I can respond to Doug's thing about risk assessments, that's going to be like a bail schedule because they, they take people's data and input it into a computer program or into a computer-modeled program. And it, it has been found by at least one objective study by ProPublica to be biased against African-Americans. And in Baltimore City, it's going to be extremely biased because of the situation we had years ago when, when they called it the arrest-a-thon, when they were indiscriminately locking up African-Americans in their communities. One of these risk assessment tools that's very popular uses arrests and not convictions as a criteria for risk. And there's 100,000 people in one year who got arrested in Baltimore who shouldn't have been arrested. Those cases have not necessarily been expunged. So that guy gets pulled over driving without uh, a license or suspended or, or whatever or for some insignificant event. When they factor in his record, he's going to rate higher than a lot of other people. Mark, we have a Arnold Foundation, which has examined one and a half million cases. They've done a full database. It's being used right now in Kentucky and Colorado and many other parts of where we're living here. And it's been shown to be not only is it non-discriminatory on the basis of race in most situations, but it's not. It's only a recommendation. So it means that the defense lawyer can add more information for the judge. The prosecutor can argue that a bail should be set or denied. And so the judge has the benefit of an objective uh, recommendation and then can consider more information. So I don't want to get stuck on the, on the, on the, on the computer-generated responses here, but let me just, just for a moment, since you both you raised it and you came back with this, I mean, ProPublica, that you, I read that report as well. Um, and, I mean, it's another kind of very progressive think tank uh, that has a real problem with, with, with that. And I think there's some, there's, there's some real data to show and, and some real concerns that these things aren't objective enough, that, there, that there's racial bias in how these things were coming about because uh, a, a huge part of the data pool were non-white people. And, and it's, it's a real there's, – there's a real danger to this. Okay, I mean, so, 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 so I'm just saying that, that – but but the question becomes, 
with or without that data and how would we get that data, the judge makes the final decision. Yes. Right? On whether who, who stays or but goes. But here's the but, thing, Mark. Here's the thing. When you when uh, you do risk assessment, it's not that one size fits all. I mean, you can mention risk assessment and we could be talking about two different uh, uh, creatures there. You have to have a risk assessment. You have to get the information, which is going to be much more race neutral. It's going to give the judge the information the judge needs about any any violence in a person's past, any recent failure to appear. We don't go back 20 years on these things when someone's 18. So the you can't when you use risk assessment, it's got to be a valid instrument. And that's the Arnold Foundation's work. And the O'Malley Commission in 2014 overwhelmingly recommended the elimination of money bail, the elimination of bail bondsmen, and the use of a risk assessment instrument. It never even made it to committee, Mark. It never even got a hearing because of the awesome power that the bail bondsmen have in Annapolis. Well, first of all, the 2014 proposal uh, by then-Senator Frosch would have replaced the discretion of the judges and commissioners with the electronic model. Uh, that was defeated. And this is the only place in the country where anyone tried to say, we're not even going to have judges look at people. We're just going to run the numbers. And they did that to avoid Doug's uh, long-standing campaign, which I agreed with, to have lawyers representing people at commissioner's hearings. I think it's absurd to think that you have a hearing that, discuss- that determines whether you're going to be locked up or released, and they didn't have lawyers at them. I, we agree on that. But that's what they proposed in the, well, in Mark, I was session. there for the debate. I was present when As I was. when Senator Zirkin stood up and started making comments about R2-D2. And Senator Zirkin, Mark, is now the chair of the Senate Judicial Proceedings Who Committee. Who opposes bail reform. Well, he has very close ties to the bail bond industry, as does... Uh, the chair of uh, House Judiciary, Joe Valerio, as do other very powerful legislators there. And and Senator Frosch, then senator, repeatedly said, this is not like a a final word that's coming in the form of a recommendation because what came out of the governor's commission was the idea that both parties, prosecutor and defense, will be able to try to influence the judge. But when you have an objective recommendation as opposed to judges taking a number out of the air without many of them, without uh, expressly considering financial resources, it leaves people without money. I'm not just talking about the very poor. I'm talking about the people who work hard for their money, who barely make it paying the bills, and now somebody gets arrested, and the family has a tough choice on a $5,000 bond, and the bonds are considerably higher in many cases. The family has to decide, do we use that 500 to get dad or out of jail? Or do we use it to pay our bills? You don't need money. Money's irrational. And the whole bail bond system, in my view, and we can talk about this later, I really believe it's, it's, a, it's an archaic system. It's a system that originated during the ugliest period in this nation's history, the one where slavery was legalized. And it's the same notion that if you have money, you could buy your way out of slavery. If you have money, you could buy your way out of jail. The system works. That's why it has persisted. 
and the alternative systems do not work. Who does it work for, well, though? Me, Isn't that the question? Well, wait, look, so what do you mean by this alternative systems don't work? What alternative systems, what alternative uh, unsecured systems property don't work? bonds, which is the flavor of the month amongst uh, the judiciary. And unsecured property bonds, I call it the sign-then-drive program with apologies to Volkswagens. You mean the one that the federal system uses no, throughout the country? No, the, the one that they're using around the state now. Right, the unsecured bond. Right. They sign and people promise right. to come back to court. And 20% of them statewide are not showing up. Well, I'd, I'd love to see those numbers. I'm going to send them to yeah. you. I just finished love the to see computer those. model. So. But, but the question is, because I've seen other things that say it's a lot different. I mean, there are, there are reports on Public Defender that show that um, that the difference between failure to appear for defendants who were released on unsecured bond mm-hmm. was 6.3%. In cases where defendants were released on secured bond, the failure to appear rate was 6.5%. So, I mean, from the studies that were done for the last commission, um, it says something very different. Well, the studies that were done from the last commission were done for a two-week period. Uh, they have been quoted as if they are some conclusive study. Uh, I decided to do my own study. So this is the Mark Adams study. Right. Well, okay. this is this is the Maryland Judiciary study because okay. what we did, we created a computer program that downloaded their entire district court database. We're in the final stages of downloading other years, but I took one year from May 1st, 2015 to April 30th, 2016. We didn't do it any farther into time than that because uh, we wanted current data, but it had to be at least six months old for there to be a history of failing to appear. We showed a 6.5% failure to appear rate for commercial bonds, corporate bonds, and we showed a 20% failure to appear rate for unsecured property bonds. We also found that in the Washington suburbs where this uh, liberalized uh, concept of pretrial release has taken hold, Almost all of the counties have a double-digit failure-to-appear rate across the board. In Montgomery County, it's 17 percent. So that if someone by the study you did by the by the this, the state's objective data, which I'm going to put online. But in Mark, it's your study though. It's not. It's not been published. It's not even been reviewed by anyone. We correct. We collected 112,000 case records. Who's the we? Myself and a couple. I, they're actually computer programmers who. I hired out of a recovery house. Okay, so you're hiring them, you're paying them, yeah. and they're doing your study. Right. right away, the objective nature of that has got to be called into question. Okay. Well, the person who did the O'Malley Commission study, the person who did that is a guy who has a vested interest in creating risk assessment tools. That's what he does for a living, and but there's a lot got, of money in these risk assessment tools. You guys were on... The O'Malley Commission. I was The bail bondsman. No, you weren't, but Lexington Bonds was on it, and Senator Zirkin was on it, and there were other very strong supporters. Uh, 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 Mr. Schellenberger was on it. There were a lot of people on it who were speaking uh, against the reformers. That commission was very heavily stacked on behalf of people who want to do these risk assessment tools. And there's a lot of money in risk assessment. So why didn't it get to the legislature? Then why wouldn't that recommendation have made it to the committee? Why did it get killed so quickly? I I don't know. I've been doing this now 19 years. And I can tell you when one of your lobbyists back in 98, 99, and 2000 would come into House Judiciary, he literally would say, how you doing so-and-so by your first name? This is one of the legislators. How are the kids doing? How's the wife? Now, this is just the hello. This is the greeting. 
everyone on the, the committee had already uh, been um, uh, contacted by the lobbyists. They were, there was a hearing, but the hearing was really for show. It was my first lesson in really understanding how much the community, the people need to be heard from. And the one thing I'll say about, about race is that the people who are in jail, the 91% of the people in our city jail are African-American. So if you could find any better system that's not as subjective as the one we are now. So, okay. Yeah. Well, I think I think the number the number I got was eighty five percent. Oh no, it, it's reported every every month. I mean, but that's just this is among people who were arrested during that period of time, had charges brought against them, and who were incarcerated. I think if you come to the monthly criminal justice coordinating council, I don't know if you come, but they no, I don't. next Wednesday they're having another meeting. You'll see that the public safety publishes monthly reports. It's anywhere between 89 and 90, 91 percent of the pretrial population, people who are waiting trial are African-American. Which, which probably tracks the homicide rate in Baltimore, if you break it down racially. I mean, it's, it's a dangerous place, and it's very dangerous in the black communities. Mark, the pretrial population consists of a very relatively small number of people charged with violent crimes who are in jail. The people who are in jail are almost uh, a majority of them uh, are nonviolent crimes. They're crimes that are often district court cases. And, it's a, and that's why Attorney General Frosch said we can't be continuing a system that's incarcerating people so, because uh, of their poverty. So, 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 in, so you heard Doug Holmes' voice. He's a professor of law at the University of Maryland, Kerry School of Law. Mark Adams is with us. Bill Bondsman, head of the Maryland Bill Agents Association. Uh, and we are part of our drive to Annapolis Summit partnering with our partners, The Daily Record. Every week we bring you a different subject that's going to be debated in this coming legislative session. This will be one of the issues when this will come up to abolish money bail in the state of Maryland uh, in Baltimore City. Uh, and one of the things that in the article was really interesting, and let me just make this quote here, and how do you respond to this? So Joe Valerio, whose committee in the House, this will be heard, uh, was quoted in The Daily Record as saying, um, um, that bail provides a constitutional middle ground that permits judges leverage to compel defendants to return for trial or remain in jail if they cannot postpone, Valerio said. Um, and then how can you hold people on mere allegations of guilt, he asked. I'm not in favor of getting rid of bonds. So how would you respond to Schellenberg? So you have a United to, uh, States Supreme Valerio. Court ruling in Salerno versus United States. Salerno was part of organized crime. If he had gotten out, there was a, a serious threat of people being killed um, by the Salerno group. So the Supreme Court said that you can deny people their liberty before trial if the government can show clearly that somebody represents a significant risk to others. What, what, uh, what Delegate uh, uh, Valerio is saying is that everyone's entitled to a bail. That doesn't keep the community safe, Mark. You see, this is not just an issue for the defendants or for the accused. It's for the public safety. And if there's one place where money absolutely is irrational, money does not protect people. Okay, so if you're going to be setting a high bail to keep the community safe and I can make your high bail, the community's no safer. As far as high bails are concerned, if they did away with them, they'd make me happy because I don't like having quarter million dollar risks in my portfolio. Uh, 
the thing, the difference with the high bails is, in order to do that bail bond, you have to get two or three family members to sign. No one's going to just let someone go out on a signature and assume a huge risk. Unless somebody has the money and they can like, put up their house, say so our house is worth X, and they can do it that way. In, in correct eight years in this business, I haven't found a single person who has a house that's worth a large bail. So I'm saying, but that can happen. Yeah, it can happen right. theoretically. Right. right. Uh, it, it doesn't, as a rule, and as a, almost an exclusive rule. Uh, the the advantage we have is that when people don't show up, we find them under penalty of losing the money, and we're pretty good. And and there's a lot of urban mythology about what bail bondsmen do, and some of our the members of our industry kind of feed into this. A lot of times, all it is is a question of calling the mother who signed for him and said, "Ma'am, he didn't show up for court." And then she usually starts cussing about him, and you need to get him to turn himself in. That's that's what a lot of it. And the state's not going to do that. I mean, the warrant squads tend not to say please and thank you when they show up at people's doors. And if you call the mother and say, "Look, they're going to come looking for him. You need to get him to turn himself in because this is dangerous." Usually, the guy turns himself in. See, one of the things that Mark just said is really worth commenting on. No one's going to let somebody out, you know, who um, uh, doesn't look like he's a reliable person. So we have to ask ourselves, why are private people, bail bondsmen, insurance companies, why are they making the most important decision about protecting people's liberty? And when you look at it, Mark, you have to ask yourself, look at the power that bail bondsmen have. They have more power than police officers. They don't need a warrant to come crashing into my home if I'm a bonded defendant. They don't need to go through the court system if they want to take the bonded defendant and say, you know what, I don't trust you anymore. You're going down to central booking. They have the power to arrest. They have the power to enter homes. The relationship there, Mark, is property. The, bond, the bondsman treats the bonded defendant, you are now my property. And when you read the contract, it's a contract that I can only say has so many of the elements of the institution of slavery where the slave owner treated the enslaved person as property. And we're looking today at the year 2016, we're looking at the power of bondsmen to hire what they call bounty hunters or enforcers and those folks, in some of the companies, you have to weigh, you know, uh, uh, 275 pounds or more to get the job. But these guys are tough, and many of them have prior serious records. And when they come knocking on a door at 4 or 5 in the morning, you're not feeling like you want to open the door, but you have no choice because they can knock the door down. And Okay, so, so Mark, let me let you respond. First of all, eight years in this business, I've never had a door knocked down. But, Mark, you're one of the nice people in this <laughs> business. I'm talking about, and <laughs> well, you're solo, I'm talking about the big guys. But that's, that's, that's one of the problems that we have is that there's a lot of classist uh, approbation of the bail industry. Our people are not necessarily picturesque. And uh, they also tend to be blacker and more blue-collar than other participants in the system. And we're very easy to demonize. And I tell some of our members to knock it off because it's, it doesn't help. Knock what off? The, the, the whole shtick with the, the, the cars with the, the ugly graphics on them and what have you. 
But mean, you do have the power, though, legally. You have the power to break into homes, to arrest people, to put them back in well, jail. The judge, the judge had the power to keep them in jail. And we don't make the assessment of their risk. The judge makes the assessment. We, we basically exercise veto power. If, if you have a guy who comes to you for a bail, who has plane tickets, you know, the, the, the person who's going to sign him out has two plane tickets to uh, South America in his pocket, you say, wait a minute. We're not going to do this bail. We want collateral. We want guarantees. We want someone who to sign for him who has a vested interest in getting him to show Mark, up for people court. from Baltimore don't have plane tickets in their pocket. They're not leaving. It's a, the question I have is you are a private citizen. You're not law enforcement. You haven't gone through training. How can you justify the enormous power that the industry has to arrest to enter homes without warrants, to basically do anything. I mean, there are people who feel threatened. There are people who have been injured. There are people who have been asked to do things on pain of being put back in jail. It's not a regulated industry. Well, we are regulated by the Maryland Insurance Administration. Well, on paper you are. And, it's, and it is a problem because so, I So, so the, you know, as we kind of wind up this thing a little bit here um, soon, I, I, I want to – there was another quote here from – in the article from the Daily Record um, by Schellenberger, who is the Scott Schellenberger, who is the Baltimore County State's Attorney, who opposes the reform, um, who says that he's that he talks about he's leery of the reform efforts, uh, saying that the bail uh, serves an important function of securing the attendance at trial. Back talking about that again, um, and requiring a defendant to post bond for pretrial release means the bondsman or family members who helped with the payment will ensure his or her return for trial, folks are trying to fix a system that I don't think is broken. Mr. Schellenberger would be wise to recommend that where you really feel money is necessary, have that money be put up in the court. If you want an incentive for the defendant to return, let the family put it up in court as a deposit. If the defendant doesn't appear, the family loses that money. But there's no payment of a 10% non-refundable fee. You put the money in court. At the end of the case, the family gets it back. Talk about incentive. I would say to Mr. Schellenberger, advocate for in-court deposits, 10% in-court, because then the family gets it back. They don't lose the money by paying it a very big fee. Well, that, the state allows 10% deposits for bails 2500 and under, and I found that the majority of the people do not want to go to the courthouse to post the $250. They'd rather pay me so they don't have to go. In, in Baltimore City, you have to go into the basement of central booking most people with good sense don't want to go there. Well, you have the installment plan, Mark. So yeah, people and we do. don't have to pay two fifty in a right. lump sum. They can pay you fifty dollars down and make payments over time. Much more attractive as a business proposition. I'm simply saying that the cash bail alternative in court would do what Mr. Schellenberg is saying. Let me, the majority of the people who were held on cash bails during my one year study period did not post them because they don't have cash. And if a judge really wants to be hard-nosed... That's 100% cash-only right. bail. That's right. different than 10%. Well, what you have in bail review, there's a handful of judges who do this. A guy will have a, a $5,000 bail, and the judge will say, I'm going to reduce your bail to 500, 100% cash. Those are the people 
out of all the classes of individuals, those are the ones who get stranded. So let me. So one of the issues here that people talk about is in the bail reform is if you ended bail, if you ended the bail system, then you'd have to shore up the pretrial system to be able to supervise people who are being arrested and then let free until it's time for them to go to court. And you right? would save so much money, Mark, so much money. It's so much cheaper to reinforce pretrial supervision. It's like 2 or 3%, 5% of what it costs to keep someone in jail. Taxpayers are paying $140 a day. That's an enormous. Why keep are people we people incarcerated in, in the city detention center? And we're doing it on nonviolent charges because people don't have the money. So even if you don't believe the justice argument or the fairness argument, just from a cost-saving point of view, that money should be spent on schools. It should be spent on all of Baltimore City's needs. Sixty-one million a year spent on pretrial services in the District of Columbia, and if you read the Washington Post, there. There's a lot of baby getting thrown out with a bathwater. I mean, if you look at if you look at the stats, isn't it true that that in most places where they have pretrial supervision, that the the failure to appear is as low as it would have been in any other system, and that and that and that that, that pretrial keeps poor people and most people of color out of the system while they're awaiting trial. The, the District of Columbia has a horrendous violent crime rate. Most of which is concentrated so on, the other, on, on the other side of the Anacostia River. Uh, the Washington Post started print, writing about it when the crime bled over into areas around Capitol Hill. They have a horrendous. Actually, crime Mark, rate. the administrative judge of uh, the District of Columbia testified at our rules committee, and she provided the data and she showed that not only do people return to court, but the rate of rearrest is so slight that the people are much safer. I mean, Mark, if could you imagine this happening to people who are from the privileged communities, that somehow you're being locked up for a month or two on a suspended license, on a petty theft, and your family's without you for that? I mean, this is a, a classic example of where race and racism are embedded in this system and where huge profits are being made. What do you think is going to happen in this legislative session in this, in the, in this battle over Mark, this is bail? like home field advantage goes to the bondsman. This is like your two touchdowns underdogs. You're going not only to the other guy's home field, but where the advantage is tremendous. Year after year, the bondsman's uh, extend their role, their protection. So the only thing that's going to overcome it, it's not just going to be the reformers who need to be heard. We need regular people. We need people who may not be directly affected themselves, but who are going to be saying, this is an old system. It's one that discriminates. It's one that profits a few at the expense of other. We need the white community present in Annapolis, and we need people who are the fairest among us to be there. What I'm going to advocate, I don't know what's going to happen. I can't prognosticate the legislature. One is there was a rule that was passed in 2014 by the Rules Committee that basically says that the administrative judges in the jurisdiction, the various jurisdictions, are supposed to get a census from the detention centers showing them anyone who's been held more than seven days. I think they're going to put some teeth in that because they haven't been doing it. I have no problem with the proposition of someone being held on petty charges who is not a flight risk 
being released on very generous terms. If someone takes a good long look at them and makes sure that they're not going to go out and be a menace to the community, I have, I have no problem with that. They haven't been doing it. They're supposed to do it. They haven't. I think there's going to be some teeth in that. And I think ultimately more people are going to be held without bail because you have the, the ridiculously high bails. I think what they're going to say is don't set the bails that high. If you have to set a bail that high, hold the person. So I mean, this is right. I mean, if you entered bail the bail system, the next level argument is going to be is how you how you how you create a system that works without bail. It's very easy, Mark. You use risk assessment. You take ten percent of the people who are arrested, who are charged with serious things, and they're the ones who may represent a severe threat to others. It should not get bail. You're and, saying, and you don't spend money. Should not be released. We're talking about the presumption of innocence. We're talking about people who should not be spending any time in jail before they've been convicted of a crime. Everything has been turned upside down. So I think we just put our own time unless you want to comment on the upside down very quickly before we have to roll. <laughs> I, I think the system works reasonably well. It, it needs tweaking. It doesn't need to be blown up. Mark Adams is bail bondsman and head of the Maryland Bail Agents Association. Doug Colbert, professor of law at the University of Maryland Carey School of Law. As we wind or lead our way up to the Annapolis Summit with our partners, the uh, Daily Record, you can see their article online as well as you can uh, hear this podcast at their website and ours. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. The Mark Steiner Show is a production of the Center for Emerging Media. Our senior producer is Mark Gunnery. Our producer is Amani Spence. Our research producer is Calvin Perry. Our new production intern and production assistant, Nadia Bromlikin. Our engineer is Andre Melton. Our theme music is by Wall Matthews of Clean Cuts. Send me your thoughts about today's program to talkatsteinershow.org. Podcast Mark Steiner Show and share it with your friends. Visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. And for your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, The Voice of the Community. I'm Mark Steiner.